Good morning, y'all, or good afternoon whenever you're watching this uh, video. My name is Rich Havard, and I am the pastor of the Inclusive Collective, a campus ministry and young adult ministry in Chicagoland. And it's a great joy to be with you uh, and present here um, for your worship service. I know about the river through uh, lots of different ways, but perhaps the main way is uh, that two of my best friends in Chicago, Josh Lau and Felix Wong, are former members of the river. They were there whenever Felix was in residency, and some of you will remember them, and or some of you are friends with them currently. And so I know a lot of great things about your church, have heard a lot of great things, and so uh, I come to it as an honor, and I'm grateful to Pastor Charles for extending the invitation to me today to be with you. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to dive in uh, for this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you for everyone gathered here, whether uh, they are watching it um, at the same time or later. Thank you for everyone who uh, will view this worship service. May it be one that helps us connect to you in a deeper way and know uh, and become the people you are calling us to be. And God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, be acceptable to you, be aligned with who you are and the people you were calling us to be. And God, if they're not or when they're not, if we stumble uh, away, remind us that you are God, not of one or two chances, but of countless chances, always welcoming us back to your will and to your way. Amen. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Now, I'm pretty sure that many sermons at the river don't begin that way, uh, but this was a street preacher asking me uh, this question, me and my friends this question, when I was in high school. He was leading about half a dozen others, all of them with big signs worn around their neck or holding up, condemning all sorts of people for all sorts of things. And really, this street preacher didn't even give us a chance to answer. All of you, you're going to hell. And how did he know or what was our offense? Well, we were all entering the only restaurant near my hometown called Vines. And we were going in and his problem was, was that Vines also sold alcohol. So according to his logic, by eating at Vines, we were supporting the evils of uh, what he thought was the ultimate evil, alcohol. It didn't matter that we weren't buying it or we weren't of age. By going in this place, he thought that we were putting a stamp of approval on something that he thought was very bad. All of you are going to hell. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? All of you are going to hell. Now this quick story reveals my early exposure to the practice of evangelism. I certainly disagree with the tactics used, with the language used, with the way that he situated his faith and condemned other people. But I also, in some ways, want to credit his passion for faith sharing, for what he viewed as evangelism. And sometimes, friends, I think that the progressive church, the progressive Christian church, could use a double dose of his excitement for sharing his faith. But at the same time, when I think about stories like this or many others that I could tell, I grew up in South Mississippi, but you see similar things in New York, I'm sure. When I, when I think about these stories that, that I can tell and that you can tell, it's easy for me to understand why I and why I'm sure many of you have an allergy to the word evangelism, this dreaded E word. Uh, I can see why we often operate with a suspicion around it. Because I've seen it and you've seen it practiced in so many damaging uh, ways, so many abusive ways. 
In addition to our personal anecdotes or what we see on the news uh, or what we see at Pride Parade or other things where we've seen bad evangelism done, uh, we also know that evangelism has been used uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a tool for perpetuating violence around the world and even here against indigenous people. Uh, violence done in the name of evangelism. So because of all these, these stories we can tell, these historical moments that we have borne witness to, because of all this, I am leery of evangelism. And again, I'm sure many of you operate with this suspicion, this allergy to evangelism and faith sharing too. And honestly, for good reason. I also believe, though, that we can reclaim practices and words that have been used in toxic ways. For instance, throughout history, the church has often practiced ministry in some terrible, heinous, oppressive ways, but we today are trying to let the Holy Spirit stir us up and do a new thing, to, to create a church that looks different, that, that, that tries to be the church that God intends for us to be. And we mess up all the time, we get things wrong all the time, but we're trying to reclaim the church as a place of radical inclusion and transformation, not shame and exclusion. With evangelism, I think that we know what we don't want. Right? We, we don't want fear-based practices or manipulative practices or offensive practices, but we can't stop the conversation there. Because I believe that too many of us have allowed bad examples of evangelism to prevent us from ever sharing our faith. We often can articulate what we think is bad evangelism, but we fail to articulate and to practice and to embody faithful, good, inclusive evangelism. Bethan Eastock, my colleague, who's a church uh, planter and a, a church consultant in the Pacific Northwest, uh, tells a story about a church that she visited that she was consulting. And she visited this church that was long known for its progressive stances in the community. It had been a voice for change and justice in the community for a long time. They had long advocated for the inclusion of all people. They pursue social justice in all sorts of ways. They serve their local community by providing a free after-school program every single day. A lay leader was giving Beth a tour of the church because she was doing this consulting work. And uh, as she was getting a tour of the church, the lay leader said to her, It's a shame, Beth. It's a real shame that all of this is going to end in a few years. Most of us are getting older. We're in our 60s and 70s, and we won't be able to do this good work forever. It's a real shame that most of this is going to end. So Beth asked a few questions uh, of the leader uh, that she was getting the tour from, and she quickly discovered that the church had never, ever, made it any sort of concerted effort to invite the families that attend the after-school program to be part of the faith community. And when Beth asked her why, this church leader said, well, we don't want to offend anyone. And Beth replied, offend anyone? But what about those families who have shared a part of their lives and their children's lives with your church volunteers? If I, were one, if I were one of them, I'd be wondering, is there something wrong with me? Am I not good enough to be a part of this church community? Why have they not asked me or my, my family or my children to be involved with anything? To come to a Sunday morning service or go to a church dinner or help with some project? They are probably wondering, is this place like some fraternity or sorority that will never ask me to pledge? That church has what researcher Martha Grace Reese calls gospel constipation. 
gospel constipation. Churches like this one that Beth is describing have beautiful pictures of the gospel. Beautiful pictures of the gospel, a gospel of love and grace and freedom and abundance, but they refuse to share it. But the good news though, friends, and what's exciting news for me is that many of our churches are starting to recognize that this is an issue, that this is a problem, and the Holy Spirit is at work among us, moving in new ways and inviting us to share our faith, to reclaim and practice evangelism. And from what I know about the river, what I know about your church is that you want to be caught up in the Spirit's invitation to do risky, bold, daring things. And maybe one of those things is to practice evangelism in a healthy, faithful way. Reclaiming evangelism, though, isn't just about branding it with some new, cool, hip name. It's about getting to the root of what evangelism is actually about and inviting all of us to participate in it. So what is evangelism? It literally means to proclaim or to announce good news. And today it's primarily a religious term, but it hasn't always been. In fact, it didn't begin as a religious term. When people used the, uh, the original Greek word in ancient Rome, they, they often employed it to talk about birthdays and wedding announcements. It's actually documented that Caesar used the word to spread the news about his birthday every year. Caesar used this word to spread the news about his birthday every year because he wanted to, to people to celebrate his life and rule. One marked by abuse of power and extreme wealth and oppressive systems, that was the good news that Caesar wanted to share. But then Jesus and the early Christians stole Caesar's word, this is the cool part, stole Caesar's word and spun it on its head and used it to announce the good news of the gospel that stood in direct contrast to Caesar's news. They used this word to invite people to the gospel party, the party everyone's invited to, no exceptions. The party that brings life and joy and verve and power. The party where people are connected to God and one another in deep and vibrant ways. The party where all people flourish and where justice reigns and where inclusion is the norm. The party where hearts are healed and neighborhoods are restored. So when we say that we're about evangelism, when I say that I'm about evangelism, that's what I mean. Sharing the good news of Jesus. Not the good news of Caesar, but the good news of Jesus and that all people are invited to the gospel party, a party where people find community, connect with God in ways that are life-giving and are fueled to change the world. Today we're exploring evangelism in particular in the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book of what Christians call the New Testament of the Bible, and Acts contains the story of the early church. Willie Jennings, a scholar at Yale, says Acts is about this Holy Spirit um, a revolution, inspired revolution of these early, this early community uh, of Jesus followers. And we're camping out particularly in Acts chapter 16, where we find the story of Lydia and see first century evangelism in action. Now, Lydia's story is one that is deeply connected to the story of Paul. And Paul, you may know, was that great first century church planter and evangelist and minister who spent his life spreading the good news of the gospel, inviting people to God's good party. And in this morning's passage and its surrounding verses, Paul is in the middle of a hectic travel schedule along with his companion Silas and Timothy. And they're traveling so much because the early church had recently decided that it would become more inclusive by welcoming non-Jews or Gentiles into the fold, into the church. And Paul and Silas and Timothy were committed to sharing this good news, to spreading this good news, to announcing this good news. 
And they had some travel plans ready, they had made their itinerary, but they had planned to stay pretty close to home. But God, as God often does, had something else totally in mind. And so God informed Paul of these alternate plans via a dream. And Paul dreamed of a man pleading with them to go to Macedonia on a whole other continent. God was inviting them to do something new and something daring, and so they listened. And God spoke to Paul in this dream, but the vision wasn't only for Paul, the all-star Christian. God's call was for all of them, so they all went. And they didn't wait around, they didn't wait for things to get right, they didn't wait to, to dot all their I's and cross all their T's, they just went because they understood their call as an immediate one. So they set sail the very next morning for Macedonia, and they went straight for Philippi, a Macedonian city where the Roman Empire was powerful and popular. God chose to send Paul and his companions to a city tangled up in oppressive systems and abusive power so they could share the gospel the good news that offered a different way of life. So we get to our story in the book of Acts today, and we see that on the Sabbath that Paul and his crew went to a place of prayer and met with some of the women there. And Lydia was one of these women, and she's identified as three ways. First, she's a worshiper of God. These folks are often called God-fearers. They're individuals who connect with God, but they're not identified as Jews, and thus are on the margins of faith. So one, she's a, she's a marginal member of, uh, of faith. Second, she's a native of Thyatira, which means that she is not from Macedonia. God led Paul to Macedonia, but an Asian immigrant was the first Christian there. And third, she's a dealer of purple cloth, a successful businesswoman who sells a luxury item. She's in an unusual social class, especially for the women of her day. So Paul and his friends go there and they introduce themselves to this, these women and then they begin sharing their faith with them, doing evangelism, inviting them to the party. And if you read Paul, Paul wrote a lot, or, or, or people in, in sort of Paul's school, is what it's called, the school of Paul, wrote a lot of what is in our New Testament. A lot of it's letters to churches from Paul or companions of Paul. And in most of Paul's writing in the New Testament, he's always sharing his testimony. He's always telling the truth about his own story, putting flesh on his theology by telling his story. And so I imagine Paul sharing his testimony with these women. How he went from a man hell-bent on persecuting and killing Christians, a man infected by hatred, a man who relied on himself to follow a lengthy list of rules and pursue perfection, a man who made his living off of building walls and keeping people out of the party. But then he had this encounter with Jesus. He had this encounter with Jesus that you may have read about before, and this encounter with Jesus really messed him up in the best of ways. It turned his life upside down. His capacity for love expanded exponentially. He was passionate about the grace that frees us from perfection. He preached and practiced a gospel that did not build up walls, but broke down walls and built up life. And so in this story, I don't think Paul is talking to these women so that he can add a tally to his conversion chart. He doesn't ask them, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I believe that Paul is sharing his story with these women because Jesus has transformed his life. And he wants everyone to know that they're invited to the gospel party too, and that they can start experiencing the abundant life that Jesus offers right now. So Lydia, she hears Paul's story, and God opens her heart to Paul's message. 
Now, Lydia is a strong and savvy businesswoman, a leader in the community. She is not forced or coerced into faith. She accepts the invitation because she encounters Jesus through Paul's story. And Lydia's faith immediately becomes an active one. She leads her whole household to be baptized and accept their own invitations to the gospel party. And then she opens her home to Paul and Silas and Timothy as a radical act of hospitality, opening her home to these strangers, which is a, a, a radical act, especially in the first century. And then later we read in other parts of, of Scripture that Lydia's house becomes a center for Christian worship and mission in Philippi. Later, Paul and Silas, in fact, returned to her home to encourage the Jesus followers gathered there, and more and more people were invited to the gospel party because Paul shared his story, and Lydia began to share hers too, through word and deed. So y'all, the question for us is, uh, how are we telling our faith stories? How do we answer the question, what difference does it make in our lives that we follow Jesus? What would it look like to invite our friends, family, and co-workers to the gospel party? Now, inviting someone to be part of the river is not the end goal of evangelism. The goal is to connect people to, a, to, to, to God who can transform them and transform our world. But the church, though, is a fertile place for that connection to happen. The church is perhaps the best place where the conditions are created for that deep connection to God for ha to happen, for people to experience that they are unconditionally loved by God. So I invite us all to think about how we can practice evangelism and how we can invite people into this faith community. Evangelism can happen in a myriad of ways, but I do believe that it often involves both words and actions. And y'all, I believe in evangelism for so many reasons, uh, some of which I, I've talked about this morning. But perhaps the greatest reason that I believe in evangelism, perhaps the greatest reason that I believe in faith sharing and invitations to the gospel party is because I'm a product of evangelism, of someone sharing his faith story with me. That person invited me to the gospel party where I first heard God's call to pursue justice and peace. The gospel party where it was the first place where I felt really known and loved. The gospel party where I continue to discover my voice, where I gain the courage to live as my true self. The gospel party where I encounter God in ways that shake up my entire life. So why did I choose to talk about evangelism today with you at the river? Well, several years ago, you all proudly proclaimed that all people are welcome in your church, including LGBTQ people. That was not an easy decision. In fact, it was a very hard one, and it cost you a lot. It cost you friends and members, money, inflicted much pain. But you all made that decision because you knew that it was the way that you must follow Jesus. So what comes next? One thing that I believe should come next after churches decide to become inclusive is a serious conversation about evangelism how to share our faith stories like Paul and Lydia and invite people into the gospel party. Why? LGBTQ inclusive churches are the minority in this country. And to be honest, the churches that are in the majority, the folks that exclude LGBTQ folks, those folks and those churches are often way more passionate about sharing their faith than we are. We can debate the, the ethics of their methods all day, but the reality is that we have something to learn from their zeal.
Because if people can be excited and find ways and strategize about ways to share a message about an exclusive gospel, then we must be able to practice some zeal, to be zealous about an inclusive gospel. Friends, I believe that we can no longer be content to shy away from evangelism, that dreaded E-word, because we don't want to be seen as Bible thumpers or like those people. We must find ways to practice evangelism, to authentically share our stories about how God has moved and is moving in our lives, to share the story of this church about how God moved you all to take a risk and boldly proclaim that all means all around here. Because when we tell our stories, we never know who will listen and who will be attracted to the love of God in a fresh way as you have. For those of you in school, your classmate who was queer and a bit confused about what to do, and your faith can point her to the God of comfort and peace. Your family member who's not queer but attends a conservative church, your faith story can disrupt his idea about Christianity and catalyze a new ally for God's inclusive love. Your coworker, who has been out for years and years as gay and as happy in New York City, but who grew up in a conservative religious community, and underneath the skin still has deep, deep spiritual wounds. Your faith story can point him to the expansive love of God that you have experienced. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were emboldened by the early church's move to become more inclusive to erase boundaries and, and, and that made them want to share their faith stories, to invite people into the gospel party. So friends, may we all be emboldened by this church's prophetic stance and, and what is happening in our lives and in the lives of this community. May we be emboldened by that, the way the Holy Spirit is moving. And may we share our faith stories too, because it really, really matters. Amen. Mm -hmm.